Okay, so let's continue with the tissues. This week we're doing tissues in the lab, and we're seeing all types of tissues, but not all, so not all of them, only epithelial tissue and connective tissue, as you will see today in the lab. And let's continue describing the different types here, giving some examples and uh, describing about the shape and the number of layers of these cells. Specifically, the epithelial tissue is described one by one, giving some examples and some uh, features of how they see. It's not another yet. Okay. Okay, so the simple squamous epithelium uses those uh, two, um, the two words, the combination of criteria, simple meaning one layer of cells, squamous depending on the shape of the cell, we describe this as a squamous cell, like a scale, like a tile, flat cell. And where we find this type of tissue, we find it in these places, the air sacs of the lungs called the alveoli. We find them in the kidney, in what we call the Bowman's capsule, and lining the inside of the blood vessels, heart and lymphatic vessels. In this small diagram that we have, we see these cells depicted as little tiles tightly connected and resting on a layer, blue layer in this case, called basement membrane. And right under, connective tissue. That's something that you will always see under the epithelia. Any type, you will see a basement membrane and connective tissue. Another place where we see simple squamous is as a major part of a serous membrane. What is a serous membrane? We described some of them in the lab in the first week when we talked about the cavities. We mentioned the pleura, we mentioned the pericardium, the peritoneum. Those are serous membranes. And they are lining the inside of these cavities. Well, this is the place where we also find simple squamous epithelium. These are a couple of examples. The simple squamous epithelium of the alveoli. These are air sacs of the lung. And the walls, the walls of these air sacs, all this space is the space of air. And the wall is made of simple squamous epithelium. One layer, and the rationale is it must be one layer. So the exchange of gases is easier from the blood to the airspace and from the airspace to the blood. Another place where we find the simple squamous is in the Bowman's capsule. This arrow is showing the wall of the Bowman's capsule. All this is called the glomerulus with G and it's blood vessels. There's a bunch of blood vessels here. This in the kidney. This space right here is what we call the capsule, the space. How this works? Well, these blood vessels, this bunch of blood vessels here, capillary blood vessels, they filtrate the blood. Filtrate the blood of waste products and, and liquid. 
and the fluid goes into the space, the Bowman's capsule, and the wall of that capsule is made of simple squamous epithelium, as we see here. The next type is simple cuboidal. One layer, and the cells have the shape of a cube. Where we find it, typical place where we see them is in the kidney also. In the kidney, but in a place called tubules. That Bowman's capsule that we described before and saw in the picture, this is the place that receives the filtrate fluid from the kidney that later will be the urine. But then the next segment where this fluid goes through is the tubules of the kidney. And as the word said, it's tubules, it's small, very little tubes, and which walls are made of simple cuboidal epithelium. Another place where we find this is in some glands, glands which are cells that produce some substance, some chemi chemical, and uh, the ducts of these glands, which means little tubes also, are made of simple cuboidal cells. This is the view of the kidney tubules. Of course, cut in a transverse way, a cross-section of these tubules will reveal this, the shape of the cells, cuboidal cells, like small squares. We can see the nucleus of these cells and even count the number of cells that we see. A different view is here. This is the same tubule. The thing is that it's being cut in a different direction. If you cut the tube like cross-section like this, you see the circle. But if you cut it longitudinal, you see this type of view. And you can see the round or kind of cuboidal cells with the nucleus very clear. Next type is simple columnar. Simple columnar is a single layer of cells that are tall, taller than white. And there are some other cells which are components of these uh, simple columnar, like goblet cells. Goblet cells are cells that are located among these other simple columnar cells. They have different color under the microscope, look clear, cytoplasm, and they produce mucus. They produce mucus. Another thing that we see in simple columnar is the presence of microvilli, which are projections of the cell membrane in the apical surface of these cells. Where we find this type of cells? Digestive system, digestive tube, starting from the stomach, small intestine, large intestine. These are photographs of these simple columnar cells. You can see the cell that is tall. And in the apical surface, you see like a dark band those are the microvilli. We don't get to see the detail of the microvilli one by one, by one because they're very small. But we can see like a dark band on the apical surface of these cells. Now, all these cells are resting 
on basement membrane and all these nuclei below are connective tissue. All those cells belong to connective tissue. As we said, all epithelia are resting on a layer of connective tissue. Have a different view here. We can see the cells, tall cells, with the cilia on top. So all these are little cilia on top. Next type is pseudostratified columnar. Pseudostratified columnar, also known as just pseudostratified. It looks like there are many layers, but there are not. There's only one layer. The thing is that these cells, they have different heights, so the nuclei look like a different level. They're also attached to the basement membrane, all of them. We can also see goblet cells here. And on top of the cells, on the apical surface, what we find is cilia. Not microvilli, cilia, which are different. The cilia can be seen better, can be seen better under the microscope because they are bigger than the microvilli. Couple of pictures here where we see all these cells. Here's the basement membrane. And you see the nuclei of these cells at different <coughs> levels, making it look like stratified, but it's pseudo-stratified, and the cilia can be seen on the apical surface of these cells. Here's another picture where we see goblet cells. Goblet cells look like cells with a clear cytoplasm with a, a vesicle containing mucus. And this is typical of the respiratory system. Here we see the basement membrane labeled and the connective tissue underneath. Yes, go ahead. How do you tell the difference between the microvilli and the cilia? They look so similar. By the size. The microvilli are smaller than the cilia. Under the microscope, you are able to see the cilia, actually, with the higher magnifications. The microvilli, you don't get to see them individually. You see them like a band on the apical surface, because they are very small. Yes? The function of the cilia microvilli. The microvilli are present in the intestinal cells, and the purpose is to increase the surface for absorption. And the, and the cilia, they are to sweep away all the things that we breathe. The cilia move. The microvilla don't move. So those were the simple types plus the pseudostratified. And now let's go to the stratified. If you see the, this, this uh, table in one of the corners of the, of the slide, uh, they're showing other types like pseudostratified squamous and pseudostratified cuboidal, which don't exist in our body. What they did here is just try the different combinations, which are nine possible combinations, but not all of them 
are uh, real in our body. So now we go to the stratified squamous, many layers, and the apical layer, and the apical layer of this epithelium is made of squamous cells, flat cells. That's why we call it stratified squamous epithelium. Only the apical layer. What about the rest of the layers? Well, the rest of the layers, they may have different shapes. But the name is based on the shape of the apical layer, in this case, squamous, stratified squamous epithelium. And you see in the diagram, the other layers are like round cells, cuboidal cells, but it doesn't matter. What it matters is, what is the shape of the apical layer? And simple is, simple um, reason why there are many layers is because these epithelium types are ideal for protection. It prevents friction forces to injure deep tissues. So skin is an example for this. We find in the skin, we have stratified squamous epithelium. A photograph of this, the apical layer are the flat cells. The other layers maybe of different shapes. And this line is showing the limit between the epithelium, basement membrane, and connective tissue. This is an example of skin. And the previous one was also skin, but the difference here is that all these layer, kind of red layer that we see here, is made of dead cells. And it's called stratum corneum. We'll see that when we get to the next chapter in the skin. All the layers, the layer of cells, they go below this point. So all this top layer is a layer of dead keratinized cell. We call them because they are full of this protein called keratin. And that gives additional protection to the skin. Like areas of the skin that are thick, like the, the, the skin of the elbow, or the skin of the plants and the soles, um, they contain this thick layer. But the skin that we have here in the anterior forearm, for instance, which is very soft, um, it doesn't have that many, or it's not so thick like we see here. But the other two combinations are stratified cuboidal and stratified columnar. Stratified cuboidal and columnar are not so common. Are not so common. So let's describe them here as these many layers which apical surface is made of cube-shaped cells. Where we can find this, basically the sweat gland. The sweat gland is the best example of this. Stratified cuboidal epithelium. And the stratified columnar is very rare. It's very rare. One of the places where we find this is in the urethra. The urethra may have stratified cuboidal, but also some stratified columnar cells, especially the male urethra. And that's it. In the laboratory, we are not going to study these two types, since they are very 
rare. We don't have slides that show that. Well, we just don't see, don't do this these two times. These are two pictures of that. This is a, a sweat gland where we see this two layers, actually, cuboidal cells. And this is a different view of the same thing. Here we see instead columnar cells. The apical layer is made of columnar cells, and the first layer here is made of cuboidal cells. So that will be stratified columnar, and the top picture we'll see uh, will be stratified cuboidal. And one more to finish the epithelial type is a transitional epithelium. Transitional epithelium receives that name because the cells change their shape. They transition. Depending on the state of stretch of the organ where they are located. When the organ is in relaxation, and what organ are we talking about? This transitional epithelium is exclusively present in the urinary system, urinary bladder and ureters. So if the bladder is empty, for instance, it means that it's in relaxation. And the apical layer, they have the shape, round shape, dome cells, or the top layer. And they, we see here, apical surface. But in the flu, full bladder, when the bladder is full of urine, these cells look flat. So to label properly, if we see this under the microscope, we need to know if the organ was relaxed or stretched. A couple of uh, pictures showing this the difference. Collapsed urine or relaxed uh, urinary bladder and distended or stretched urinary bladder. You see the flat cells that then change to round cells depending on the condition or state of stretch of the organ. That's why they are called transitional epithelium. These are some examples, typical examples of every single type, or at least one example. Well, we will find them in many other places. Uh, we just taking one or two examples, and what you are required to remember for exam purposes is at least one or two examples of each type of epithelium where you can find it. You can give an example where we find this type of tissues. This is about the same. Some examples. Transitional, just the urinary bladder. Pseudostratified is in the upper respiratory tract. Trachea, bronchi. Columnar. Simple columnar is very common in the digestive tract. So there are some things that help to remember where we find these types of tissues. There are some some places where the simple squamous epithelium receives a specific name. 
like endothelium. This name, this word endothelium, refers to the simple squamous epithelium that we find lining the inside of the blood vessels. And actually, inside the all circulatory system, all blood vessels, arteries, veins, and heart. This is an example of endothelium. See in the picture, the yellow layer of cells that we see here is simple squamous. Endothelium. So you can use it as an example. So endothelium is an example of simple squamous epithelium. Or here in this diagram, we see the endothelium, endothelial cells, the pink cells. One layer, one layer of cells, simple squamous. This endothelium is really important in the cardiovascular system because it signals, it sends signals whenever there is a disruption of this endothelium. Like when we have a wound, a vein puncture, or if someone has high cholesterol, high triglycerides, and those chemicals get deposited under the endothelium, damaging the endothelium and producing clots, obstruction of blood vessels, coronary arteries in the heart get obstructed. All that because the endothelial cells, the simple squamous, plays an important role. Besides, there's another type of, um, another place where this simple squamous epithelium receives a different name, and that's mesothelium. Mesothelium is that epithelium covering the membranes that we mentioned, pericardium, pleura, and peritoneum, the ones lining the thoracic cavity and abdominal cavity. And this is a picture of that, simple squamous epithelium, called mesothelium. That's uh, an example of the pleura, the membrane that covers the lung. And there's a type of cancer that arises from this type of cells. Some, some other time you see in the TV advertisements about preventing mesothelioma or something like this. Well, this is this type of cancer arises from, originates from the mesothelium, the membrane covering the lung. Questions, comments about the epithelial tissue in general. So in the laboratory today, we're going to see all these types of tissues. I'm going to give you a list of all the types of tissues that we have available, slides for them, and you have the chance to see them under the microscope. Next big part, big group of tissues is the connective tissue. And this type of tissue is the most abundant in the body, widely distributed anywhere, everywhere, we'll find connective tissue. And there are many, many, many subtypes. In general, the functions, the functions of this tissue is binding, connection, like around the muscles, support, like cartilage, which is a type of connective tissue, provides support. The ear has cartilage, the nose has cartilage, providing support. Insulation and protection, adipose tissue plays that role. Compartmentalize and transport the blood is considered a connective tissue type. 
energy reserves, immune responses, adipose tissue can also uh, fulfill that function. Okay. Yep. Cartilage doesn't have blood vessels. No. Uh, they receive the, the nutrients in a very particular way. There are blood vessels closed, but they blood vessels don't get into the cartilage. What is this doing here? Let's cook it. So this is to show the connective tissue. All this, you know, the red meat, if you take a look, like a transverse section like we did here. Now every time you see the meat now, you're gonna think about the transverse section, sagittal section, longitudinal section, because the muscles are long fibers and they are bundled up like in fascicles, packs, bundles of fibers. And this is a transverse section and all the white lines that you see here, all that is connective tissue. All these packs, this is a transverse section. So. And all this, this is connective tissue. Yeah, in this place there is more than just one type. There's adipose tissue also here, and all that is fat. But it is still connective tissue. So one of the important functions of connective tissue is to support, connect, and provide fat adipose tissue as storage. And blood vessels run here. Blood vessels are running in the connective tissue getting anywhere around the muscle fibers. So the uh, connective tissue has different components and there are main, three main components, the fibers, the cells, and the ground substance. Fibers, collagen is one of the fibers. Actually the main fiber, it's a protein, it's a protein and is a most important component of the connective tissue. As I mentioned, the connective tissue contains lots of blood vessels, it's highly vascularized, and nerves. Many nerves are running in the connective tissue. That's how the blood vessels, nerves are run around the organs um, and every single uh, part of the body. So we can make this description in two big groups of components, two basic elements, the cells and extracellular material, or matrix we call it. And among the extracellular matrix, we have proteins, which are the fibers that I mentioned, and ground substance. That's what we said, I said before, there are main three components, the cells, and the other two, which are extracellular, which are the proteins, fibers, and ground substance. What is the ground substance? The ground substance in this diagram will be the pink background. Chemicals. Chemicals, usually complex chemicals like hyaluronic acid, chondroitin sulfate, if you see these words, you probably recognize some of these names. You can see them as components of some medications that are sold to help with uh, cartilage health because they are directed to reinforce the ground substance of the cartilage, which is made of hyaluronic acid, chondroitin, uh, sulfate. 
What are the cells? The cells are the fibroblasts. Fibroblasts. That is the main type of cell in the connective tissue. What is the function of this fibroblast? <coughs> to produce fibers. Make these fibers and secrete them. Collagen as the main, but there are other two, elastin fibers and reticular fibers. Not only fibers, but also the ground substance is made by these cells. Well, the fibroblasts are the very important component of the connective tissue. In this picture, in the diagram first, in the drawing, you can see um, the cells. One of them, one of them is the fibroblast, but like this one here. And you can see fibers running across. The thickest fibers are collagen fibers. The thinner are elastic fibers. And the third type, reticular, are also very fine, but they are not crossing or going across like long fibers. They establish like a mesh, like a network. That's what we call reticular. That means from network. Collagen fibers are very well stained in the slides that we see. You can recognize them very easily. And actually, they are used to classify the different types of connective tissue. Fibroblast is the main type, but not the only one. There are other types of cells depending on the type of connective tissue. Like if we see cartilage, the cell of the cartilage is called chondrocyte. In the adipose tissue, the adipocytes. In the bone, the osteocytes. And in the blood, the white blood cells. White blood cells, which are uh, cells of uh, the connective tissue in the case of the blood, may be of different types. Macrophages, neutrophils, eosinophils, lymphocytes, but they, they can also be present in other types of connective tissue because they are part of the immune system. Macrophages are the ones that defend us against the invaders, microorganisms, and neutrophils are also one type of macrophage. Mast cells and eosinophils, they are responsible of inflammation. Lymphocytes, they attack invaders, producing antibodies. So these cells, besides being in the blood, they are traveling or they may be found in some part of the connective tissue. Imagine you have a, a wound, like a cut in the skin, and that cut involves the epidermis, the epithelium, and the dermis. If you cut the dermis, you are cutting connective tissue. And microorganism gets there, but these cells have to get to that point and start fighting against the microorganisms. So they must leave the blood and go and, and reach the place of infection. So these cells may be found also in other types of connective tissue besides the blood. Ground substance. The ground substance is support and it stores water. And this is what is important. It provides medium for exchange of substances. 
components, GAGs, that stands for glycosaminoglycans, chondroitin sulfate, dermatin sulfate, hyaluronic acid. All those are very complex molecules which are part of the ground substance. This ground substance is important in the case of cartilage. If someone asked there uh, if the cartilage had blood vessels. No, there's no blood vessels in the cartilage. Well, how the cells, chondrocytes, get the nutrients? Well, the blood vessels, they get close to the ground substance of cartilage, and the nutrients, they get there, and they attach to these glycosaminoglycans, and they are passed on from molecule to molecule. Molecules of water help for that. And in that way, they reach the cells, the chondrocytes. So it's like in the group of people, we pass the things from hand to hand and get and reach to the uh, uh, part of the top, the back of the class. So collagen fibers, elastin fibers, and reticular fibers are the three types of fibers that we find in the connective tissue. And we see them in this picture. And this photograph of uh, connective tissue, you will see this. This is described as areolar connective tissue, where you can see collagen fibers are the thick pink fibers. Elastic fibers are dark thin fibers. And the nuclei that you see belong to fibroblasts. You will not see the shape of the cell with fibroblasts. You will only see the nucleus of the fibroblast in this view. And the background where we see in white will be the ground substance. Where the reticular fibers? The reticular fibers is a good question. Reticular fibers cannot be seen here because the reticular fibers are very fine and we need a special staining to see them. Actually some stainings they use uh, silver uh, to properly see these reticular fibers. But in a common tension or preparation like this, you don't see reticular fibers. You just see collagen and elastic fibers. And those are the network-like fibers? The network-like fibers, the reticular fibers. The reticular fibers are found in uh, organs like the lymph node, like the spleen, providing support to the blood cells there. But in order to see them, we need special stainings. And the special stain is to see that. Okay, so the first type of uh, connective tissue, and let's start with the very beginning, <laughs> is called embryonic connective tissue. Embryonic connective tissue is present only during the embryonic development, and it's called mesenchyme. Mesenchyme and mucous connective <laughs> tissue, only two types are present in the, as components of the embryonic connective tissue in the embryo. This mesenchyme and mucous connective tissue is what we commonly call stem cells. They are cells in development. They will give place to these primary germ layers, ectoderm, endoderm, mesoderm, and then give place to the rest of the organs. The mesenchyme is that type of tissue that gives rise to all other type of connective tissues. And we see them in the embryo, as we see here, in the embryo, only in the embryo. The mucoid connective tissue is found in the umbilical cord, 
and the umbilical cord we see here in the section of the umbilical cord we see the mucoid connective tissue which look very similar it's just the different location and the stage of development uh, at the birth there's not supposed to be embryonic stem cells anymore just adult stem cells even though it's still a, an infant a newborn but the cells are in adult form the only place where we find this connective tissue at birth is in the umbilical cord. That's the reason why the umbilical cord is also used for, uh, uh, in stem cell research. There are some types of research that take cells from the umbilical cord and use them as stem cells. Are those in the placenta as well? Yeah, the umbilical cord, um, no, not in the placenta. Uh, they are in the umbilical cord, the connection, the connection. Mucus CT, or connective tissue, or Wharton's jelly, that's an old name that I used to give to this type of tissue. And when we cut the umbilical cord, we can see it's like a gelatin, that's why it's called Wharton's jelly. And it's a rich source of stem cells. So here we go, this is a whole classification of connective tissues. We saw the embryonic connective tissue, so just these two types. And now let's move to mature connective tissue. You see big subgroups. The first uh, big subgroup is loose connective tissue. The second big group is dense connective tissue. The third, cartilage. Fourth, bone. Fifth, liquid. And there are many subtypes in some of them. Like the loose connective tissue contains three different types. Areolar connective tissue, adipose tissue, and reticular connective tissue. The group of dense connective tissue contains dense regular connective tissue. Dense irregular elastic connective tissue. There are three types of cartilage, hyaline cartilage, fibrocartilage, and elastic cartilage. And in liquid, we have blood and lymph. So this is a whole classification of all types of connective tissue. We're not going to see all of them in the laboratory. We're going to see some of them. And I'm going to give you the list later when we are in the lab. So let's start with each of these types. Loose connective tissue. First, areolar connective tissue. This is the one that is very, very common, abundant in the whole body. This is the one that we find under the skin, in between the muscles, packing glands, muscles, nerves. And it looks like, we saw a bigger picture before, that's where you can see the fibroblasts, the collagen fibers, the elastic fibers, all of them. The areolar connective tissue. <laughs> this is the type of tissue that we see in between the, the fascicles, muscle fascicles of the meat, the, this the white stuff in, in between the different muscle fibers. This is another view of this same areolar connective tissue. These are nuclei of of fibroblasts. 
These are other specialized cells of the immune system. These are actually mast cells. And besides the collagen fiber, the thick one, elastin fiber, the thin fiber. This is exactly the, the picture of view that you will have under the microscope. Adipose tissue. Adipose tissue is also a type of loose connective tissue. It is found in the subcutaneous layer deep to the skin, around organs. The heart, for instance, is surrounded by fat in some places. The kidney is surrounded by fat for protection. And besides protection is insulation, reduces heat loss, and serves as an energy source because what they have inside is fat, triglycerides, that they can use for energy at any time. That's how you will see the adipose tissue, like empty cells. You will see them like empty cells. Where's the nucleus of these cells? Pushed against the wall because all the cytoplasm is occupied by a big bubble of fat. We don't get to see the bubble of fat here because during the preparation of these slides, we use ethanol, ether, which are solvents of fats. And we just wash all the fat, but the cells remain. Cells and the nuclei, we can see them, they just look empty cells. And the adipose tissue can be found surrounding structures like blood vessel. This is a blood vessel. This is an artery. This is a vein. Reticular connective tissue is the third type of loose. We find this in lymph nodes, lymph nodes, spleen. These organs they are full of fluids like blood, lymph, and they need this type of tissue to support, to serve as a network to support all these cells. And to see the reticular fibers, we need a special stainings like we see in this uh, photograph. We see the reticular fibers stained in blue. Questions to this point? Let's get a 10-minute break. Okay, the next type of tissue to study are the dense types. And among the dense types, we have first the dense irregular connective tissue. The way that we describe this dense irregular is based on the collagen fibers. And the collagen fibers, when they are arranged randomly, like following different directions, curved, like imagine cutting this in different planes, and you will see not long, but different sizes and shapes. And that's because the fibers are running in many different directions. Fibroblasts are also found here. And the reason why the collagen fibers are in running in different directions is to provide more strength, more support, especially in places where forces pull all the time from the place to another, like under the skin. 
So this is found in the dermis of the skin. These are two examples, two slides, what you see here, collagen fibers, they are all these wavy fibers running in different directions. Some of them are this, some of them like that, like that, and this is the dermis of the skin. And in this other one, we see the skin with the epithelium, like this is the dark cells here, that's the epithelium, stratified squamous epithelium, and all this dense, irregular connective tissue, all the collagen fibers running in different directions. So when you see the slide of skin, you're able to see two different types of tissues. You see epithelial tissue, stratified squamous, and you also see dense, irregular connective tissue. Dense regular, dense regular, is found in the tendons, tendons, ligaments, wherever a strong attachment is needed. Tendons connect muscles to bone. Ligaments connect bone to bone. And the strength has to be distributed along a long one axis. When we pull a bone, muscular contraction, all the strength comes in one direction. That's why the collagen fibers are arranged in this way. We see the thick collagen fibers, all of them running in one direction. And in between, we see the nuclei of fibroblasts. Like we see here, these are very thick collagen fibers. And in between, we see the nuclei of the fibroblasts. Elastic connective tissue is the third type of dense tissues and it contains fibroblasts plus elastic fibers. Where we find this? Well, places where we need elasticity, like this artery called the aorta. The aorta is this blood, a big blood vessel that comes out of the heart, as we see here. And when the blood is pumped from the heart, towards the aorta, the blood pressure is really high and the aorta needs to be elastic. And the walls of the aorta look like this with elastic fibers. In this case have been stained with special staining. You can see like wavy in many layers, elastic fibers. This is dense elastic tissue only found in the aorta. That's another view. This is the aorta uh, in a transverse section. The elastic fibers are seen in all this layer called the tunica media. We will see this again in 40B when we get the cardiovascular system. Cartilage. Cartilage is a tissue that has no blood supply. <coughs> and it grows slowly. When we break a cartilage, the repair healing is very slow. And the reason is because there's no blood vessels, a very poor amount of blood vessel. There are three types of cartilage, hyaline, fibrocartilage, and elastic fiber. Hyaline cartilage is the most abundant. 
That's the type we're going to see in the laboratory today. Where we find it? Covering the ends of long bones, ribs, the nose, trachea, bronchi, and larynx. The commonly known as Adam's apple that we have here in the neck or the throat is made of hyaline cartilage. Provides a smooth surface for joint movement, especially when they are covering the ends of the long bones, like uh, the knee, the elbow, these joints. The bones don't get to touch to each other. They are covered, protected by cartilage, hyaline cartilage. And that's how we see it under the microscope. You can see the chondrocytes inside spaces called lacunae. Lacunae, that comes from the word lake. It looks like a small cavity. And that's where the cell is. The cell is inside the lacunae. And around it, we see homogeneous substance, the ground substance. Chondroitin sulfate, hyaluronic acid, all those components are found here. And where are the blood vessels? The blood vessels reach to this point only. They don't go beyond this line. Beyond that line is just ground substance, cartilage, and chondrocytes located in those spaces. Fibrocartilage. The difference is that in fibrocartilage, there are more collagen fibers. That's why, the, that's why it's called fibrocartilage. Besides, it's very strong cartilage. It is found like in special components here in the knee, in the knee joint, the menisci, the meniscus. It has to be very resistant to support the weight of the body. Also in the intervertebral spaces, in between the vertebrae and the vertebral column. Between each vertebrae there is a cartilage, that is fibrocartilage. It has to be very strong to resist the weight of the body. Lots of collagen fibers. To see the collagen fibers, we need special stainings. Otherwise, the fibrocartilage will look exactly like a hyaline cartilage. If we use a special staining here, we can see the collagen fibers stain in blue. As I said, we are, we are only going to see the hyaline cartilage type in the laboratory. Because for fibrocartilage and elastic cartilage, to see the fibers, we need a special stainings and special prepared slides. Elastic cartilage, because it contains more elastic fibers. Where we find it? External ear, epiglottis, which is a cartilage that we have in the entrance of the airways in the throat. And again, under special staining, we see the elastic fibers dark running across in the ground substance. This is a picture of elastic cartilage, where we can see dark, dark because all the elastic fibers are stained. 
Then we get to the bone. Bone is calcified matrix. The ground substance here is calcified. How we form bone? We start from cartilage. If we see a, 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 an image of the embryo and fetus during the development, their bones are cartilage, are template, uh, templates of cartilage. And they get calcified and then they have a skeleton. In this case, the cells are called osteocytes. And the osteocytes are in lacunae also, spaces. But the ground substance around is calcified, the bone. But these cells are smart. They keep projections that look like small spiders with many projections that run in between the calcified matrix, determining this connections called canaliculi. So all these cells are actually connected to each other and then connected to the central canal here, which is a place for a blood vessel. So there are blood vessels in the bone, but there are no blood vessels in the cartilage. Yes. The bone marrow is different. The bone marrow is a cavity that is in some certain parts of the bones. But this is the bone tissue, the same bone tissue. This is how we see it under the microscope. Um, we see a disc structure, disc-like structure or circle that has a central canal. Canal because, or haversian canal, because that's where the blood vessel runs. And the cells, the osteocytes, they are concentrically distributed around the blood vessel. And the calcium gets deposited following concentric rings, determining this circular structure called the osteum. Let's consider the unit of the bone, the structural unit of the bone, the osteum, which is a concentric rings, many layers of concentric rings of calcium and osteocytes around a blood vessel. Blood and lymph are the liquid connective tissue. So we'll study more about blood and lymph. Each one has a special chapter. We're going to talk about extensively about blood and about lymph and all the functions. We, I think we have one slide of blood only today. Yes? So if there's no blood vessels in the cartilage, but there are in the bone, how and when does that happen? How that happen? Yeah. Okay, during the development, what happens is if there's going to be bone in some part of the body, it starts from a template of cartilage. And that template of cartilage is programmed to be replaced or calcified, better say. But long term, the fibroblasts will turn into chondrocytes, and the chondrocytes will start depositing calcium and get distributed like in that particular way. But if it's programmed to be cartilage, it will remain as cartilage for a lifetime. We'll see that when we get to the bone tissue, we'll see the different types of calcification that we see during the development. There are two types of, two ways that the bones get calcified. Muscle and nerves will be studied in every chapter, muscular tissue, when we get to that point, and neurons, nervous tissue also, uh, in the beginning of the 40B. 
But let's talk about epithelial membranes a little bit more. Epithelial membranes are composed by epithelium, of course, and connective tissue. In this case, we see the example of parietal pleura and visceral pleura, the membranes around the lung. And we see the mesothelium that we described before resting on basement membrane and then below connective tissue, which in this case is areolar connective tissue. So the epithelial membrane is epithelium plus connective tissue. That's how the pleura is composed. The other layers, I mean the other membranes like the pericardium and peritoneum in the same way. Those are serous membranes. Mucous membranes are different. A mucous membrane is found inside the organs, like inside the digestive tube. And it's also composed by these two components, epithelial tissue or the epithelium plus the connective tissue, as we see in this diagram. In this case, the epithelium is simple columnar and is resting on areolar connective tissue that for this particular case, we call it lamina propria. We'll see more of that in digestive tissue and digestive system. But mucous membranes are, example, inside the intestines, inside the mouth also is part of the digestive system, so it's a mucous membrane. Inside the nose, the nasal cavity, respiratory throat, all those are mucous membranes. And the skin is considered a cutaneous membrane. That's, that fits in the classification. It has an epithelium and connective tissue underneath. So mucous membranes, as I said, they line the interior uh, body surface of organs or systems like the digestive tract, respiratory, and reproductive tract. Like the nasal cavity, nasal mucosa, as we see here. Serous membranes, internal surfaces, cavities, like in the pleural cavity, pleural cavity, pericardial cavity, abdominal cavity. And there are two layers, parietal and visceral layer in the case of the serous membranes. The parietal layer is lining the body wall, the inside of the cavity, and the visceral layer is wrapping or surrounding the organ. And in between, there's usually a little bit of fluid called serous fluid. Cutaneous membrane, which is the next uh, chapter that we will discuss next week on Tuesday. Uh, epidermis and dermis, epithelium plus connective tissue, which in the case of the skin is called dermis. Some other membranes, synovial membranes. Synovial membranes are special membranes located inside the joints. Inside the joints. The joint is surrounded by a capsule and inside there is a small cavity lined by synovial membrane. 
The difference with our other membranes is the synovial membrane is made of connective tissue only. So these synoviocytes, which resemble epithelial cells, they are not epithelial cells actually. They are, they are derived from the connective tissue. They are just connective tissue. That was a special case, the synovial membrane. Now, since we're talking about epithelium, epithelium is a very complex uh, tissue because it gives place to many structures. And one of them are the epithelial glands. Epithelial glands. In general, the glands, the glands are defined as groups of cells that produce some chemical and release that chemical either to the outside, inside one organ, or straight to the blood. In that way, the glands that secrete their contents to the blood are called endocrine glands. And the glands that secrete their contents to a lumen, meaning inside one organ like the intestine, or to a duct, they are called exocrine glands. What we're talking about here mostly are exocrine glands, not the sweat gland, because they produce a chemical and release it to the outside of the body. Endocrine glands, there's a specific chapter for that. There are many endocrine glands in the body. Here, this is the example, the sweat glands, which are located in the dermis. A transverse section of these glands show um, the duct of the sweat gland that we have described in the first part, like stratified cuboidal. That's an example of stratified cuboidal. Another examples of exocrine glands, as well as the sweat gland, they are the uh, salivary glands, glands in the digestive system that produce enzymes so we can digest the food, uh, earwax, which are produced by special glands in the external auditory canal. And the classification of the glands are it's made up on, based on two things. Based on the ducts that they have and the shape of the secretory part, which is the part that produces the secretion, the chemical, the product. The ducts may be branched or unbranched. Simple, it's not branched. Compound, the duct has many branches. And according to the shape, maybe tubular, acinar, and tubular, acinar. See some pictures of this to understand the classification. One simple duct and branched, and we call them simple glands. If the duct is branched, we call it compound. Like all these, the blue part, you see the duct has many branches. And if you see the shape, the shape of the secretory part, which is the pink part. They may be tubular or acinar. Tubular is like a tube, acinar is like, it's more rounded. And the second way to see and understand these glands, exocrine glands, is based on the way that the gland secretes the product. 
And according to that, we have three types. This is functional classification. Metocrine, apocrine, and holocrine. What is the difference? Metocrine is the most common. The gland releases the product, the cells release the product by exocytosis. The cells of the gland are not damaged. They just secrete by exocytosis, and they keep working, like the salivary glands. Metocrine secretion. Apocrine. In the apocrine, the cells break a piece of the cytoplasm and release a product with it. This is called decapitation because it's like a, the head of the cell or the top part of the cell gets separated, spliced, and pinched off. Example, mammary glands. When they produce milk, they follow this type of secretion, apocrine gland. In holocrine, yes? The cell survives. Yeah, the cell survives. It pinches off a part of it, but then survives. And in holocrine, the plasma membrane gets ruptured and the cell dies. And then they are replaced by mitosis. That's why there are stem cells here. An example of a holocrine secretion is sebaceous gland, also known as oil gland. The secretion, the sebum, is released and those cells are, they die afterwards. And they're quickly replaced by more cells. But that has a limit. And that's why, as part of the aging process, one of the features is the skin gets drier. Why? Because not that many oil glands, after 80 years of working and killing and producing oil, well, at some point, we run out of stem cells and we have less number of sebaceous glands, they produce less oil, and our skin gets drier. couple of words about tissue repair. All these tissues are repaired by mitosis, whenever there's an injury. Uh, in terms of repair, we need to differentiate two groups of cells, two groups of cells that are part of the tissues. And this is a completely different view of the tissues. These two parts, or groups of cells, are called parenchyma and stroma. Parenchymal cells. What do you mean, parenchymal cells? Parenchymal cells are the cells that are the main cells of the organ, we can say. They are the ones that take care of the specific function of one organ. Like in the heart. In the heart, the muscle is the main cell, the cardiac muscle. That's the parenchyma. Parenchymal cells. And the stroma are the supporting cells like connective tissue around blood vessels, nerves, in between the muscle fibers, and in the specifically in the heart, they are like fibrous bands and rings that are like the skeleton of the heart, connective tissue. That part is called stroma. 
Same thing in the liver. The liver cells, uh, hepatocytes, are the parenchymal cells. Stroma, connective tissue. Stroma is generally connective tissue. So, in, whenever there's a damage, tissue repair, the point is homeostasis. We need to go back to equilibrium. And there's an active repair of both parenchymal cells and stroma. Fibroblasts will divide quickly. Collagen fibers are produced anew. New blood capillary blood vessels that supply more blood for healing. And the parenchymal cells also, they are replaced by the stem cells of the organ that are located there. And we have like a wound. Sometimes we see this. This is a wound in the skin, like abrasion. And after some days, we see these red dots all over. And white tissue. What is that? Well, that's a sign. That's a good sign. That's a sign of healing. That's called granulation tissue. The white is connective tissue. It's a stroma getting repaired. The red part are new blood vessels that are growing. And from there, we start the parenchyma, the skin, the epithelial cell will be renewed and replaced. And sometimes we see a scar like this. This is a particular type of scar called keloid. A keloid scar. What it is, it's an excessive growth of connective tissue of stroma. Under the skin, there's dense irregular connective tissue. Sometimes some people have the, uh, this feature that they grow a lot of connective tissue, more than others, especially when there is a, a wound of this type following one line and subject to tension. Normally, the parenchyma and the stroma should heal at the same time and favor complete repair of the tissue in both groups of cells. And to finish, just some features about aging process. Fetus contains more stem cells than adults. And if there's some type of wound, there's usually no scars. There's fetal surgery, performs fetal surgery. And when they cut some tissue in the fetus, then afterwards, after birth and later, see no scars. Because it heals perfectly. Parenchyma and stroma, everything heals perfectly. <coughs> and the extracellular components change with the age. The changes of nutrients, glucose, collagen, elastic fibers, they also contribute to aging process, like in the terms of less number of collagen fibers, elastic fibers in the skin, with more wrinkles, less number of oil glands, with dry skin. So all these are some features about aging process. Okay, questions, comments? Yes. So could you use stem cells to stop scarring? I mean... Yes, in theory, we could do that. You just, in that keloid scar, we can remove it and put stem cells so they will heal nicely. That's the point. That's the idea of stem cells. Yeah? Alrighty. See you later in the laboratory.